What up, Danny? What's up, Tyler? Not much. Just here to record the next episode. What did we say, 110? 111? Fuck. Oh, it's because I just typed 110 for Tetsuo. That's why it was on my mind. Episode 111 of Fried Squirms, because we kick ass. And this week we're doing Urban Legend. That's right. It's no myth that we're doing Urban Legend this (laughs) week. That's right. Before we get to that... And I guess before we even get to our little catch-up on how we're doing, we should say that we went to the latest Pet cemetery last night, and we do want to talk about that a little bit, but we're going to do that at the end of this episode. So if you want to hear our thoughts on the latest Pet cemetery, I guess skip to the end? You guys know how to fucking work here, but goddamn you know players. <laughs> Either that or just wait for us to finish talking about Urban Legend, but we'll be doing that after this little bit, so... Anyway, how was your week? It was pretty good, man. For the most part, it was laid back. It's kind of lazy. Just trying to get caught up on watching a few films that I had purchased. So just doing a little bit of that. Probably start reading again. (laughs) That way I can kind of keep the momentum going. Because if I take a break too long in between reading, I'll get lazy and not want to read. I understand uh, that. I understand. I tried to do a little bit of reading this weekend myself just because I have been being really lazy about it. (laughs) Exactly. Well... The weather, too, doesn't really help. It's been rainy, so it kind of puts me in that real relaxed mood. But, yeah, it's been a good week for the most part. How about yourself? Good. I had a long weekend because I put in a shit ton of time at work. So I'm on, like, my fourth day off right now. Mm -hmm. I have to go back earlier than normal tomorrow, which that kind of blows. Like, I have a long weekend, and it still gets fucked up in some way by having to go back early, but whatever. That just means that I am going to actually end up catching Pet Cemetery again tomorrow night, which I was already telling. I mean, besides that, like I said, I sat around, I read some, I slept. (laughs) Hell yeah. I went to Shazam. That was a lot of fun. I do want to say, like, if we have any, like, parents or something out there that are listeners that, like, are into horror and you're like, eh, whatever, like, I'm not super looking forward to taking my kid to the superhero movie. There's at least, like, two small saving graces in that movie for the horror fan, I think. If you're only into horror and not into superhero movies, don't go because of this. But if you're going anyway, there are some really neat fucking creatures in it. Nice, that's awesome. Some of the enemies are, like, these personifications of the seven deadly sins. And whoever made the fucking creature designs for those demons, they look fucking cool. Like, they're rad. So that's pretty dope. And Annabelle from the Conjuring movies shows up for a brief second in the background on, like, like a shelf. (laughs) I guess the director is, like, a super big horror junkie. And it kind of showed in the movie. I was kind of surprised how it went, some of it, but uh, not enough. Like, I'm not going to say, like, if you're a horror fan, go check it out. I'm going to say, like, if you have to check it out, even if you're not necessarily wanting to, there's still going to be a couple little tidbits that might perk you back up. So. Well, that's good to hear. I had seen some posts where people were like, you know, it's a good film. I even have a friend back home who said that it might be one of the better DC Universe movies. So I was like, all right, that's good to know. It's a lot of fun. Didn't super blow my hair back, but I am not disappointed that I went and saw it in theaters either. So Well, good, man. So it sounds like you had a good weekend for watching films. There's some good ones in the theater. There's some really good ones coming up in the future, so I'm looking forward to that, too. Be a lot of time spent in the theater this year. I know. I'm already looking at the next few weeks coming ahead, and I'm like, oh, fuck, like four or five days, or I guess in like five or six days, I'll be going and catching the new Hellboy. Yeah, that's going to be awesome, man. 
And then after that, it's like Avengers at the end of the month and just all sorts of shit coming up. So Yeah, well, that's cool. I'm looking forward to it. So aside from just the personal stuff that we've been up to, I do got a few bits of information regarding the horror world and news. So one thing I'll lead off with is we've talked about it a few times, but apparently Jonas Ackerland's his drama Lords of Chaos, which is you know based off the stories of some of the black metal from Norway, <laughs> which is really awesome. Some bands like Mayhem and all that good stuff. But uh, anyhow, it is making its way to DVD and Blu-ray coming May 28th. And if you happen to get the Blu-ray DVD combo, it will be unrated, which is the 118-minute version, and you'll get some bonus features. Some of that includes like 11 directors, teasers, and trailers. The single DVD, it's going to have the rated version, which looks like there's two minutes cut. It's 116 minutes, but there are no bonus features on that. But I'm really a big fan of the documentary, Until the Light Takes Us. It's mm-hmm. really good. So if you want to really see what it's about, check that one out. If you want a more fictionalized yeah, version, more fictionalized, I suppose. Yeah, go check out the film. I've heard some good things though. Yeah, me too. So I might have to check it out. I've also heard some iffy things by a guy that I know is like actually like super into black metal. Like that's the type of metal he listens to. But we'll see. Yeah, it'd still be worth yeah. checking out at least. Yeah. So along with that, I do have some news concerning a film based off of a video game. So if anybody's a fan of Silent Hill. Scream Factory is bringing it to Blu-ray with some killer artwork. So from what I understand is it's going to get a collector's edition Blu-ray later this year. It's going to get a North American Region A release on July 9th. It's going to come with a slip cover. So, you know, if you're into collecting slip covers, it's guaranteed for three months after its original release date. So if you want to get those, get those within that three months. Some of it also includes newly commissioned artwork from Devin Whitehead. He's done some artwork for Trick R Treat, <laughs> Valentine, and Sleepwalkers. So it's going to include a front-facing and reverse side of the wrap, which contains a feature alternate theatrical artwork, which is the woman walking towards the town. Sign in the fog. So it looks pretty neat, man. It's going to get two discs. Some of it, you know, of course, is going to get extra features. I haven't really announced that, but they will here shortly. All right, we're fans of Cabin in the Woods. We have covered that one. And it looks like director Drew Goddard is adapting the graphic novel thriller Sabrina. So that looks pretty cool. He's also going to help produce it. You know, so for fans of that, it looks like he's on board. I'm going to fuck up this last name. But the guy that wrote the screenplay for Suspiria, the reimagining, reboot, re-what-the-fuck-ever, David Kaganich? Kaj... Con, con, anyway, <laughs> David K. He's writing and adapting another screenplay. Oh, and nice. it's going to be a cannibal movie. It's based off of a novel called Bones and All. I've never read it. Here's a little synopsis. Story falls 16-year-old Marin Yearly cross-country as she searches through the dark, unseen corners of America to find a father she's never met in an attempt to understand why she has killed a series of friends and acquaintances and why she will kill again. Anytime she cares for someone too much, she can't stop herself from eating them. So huh. that could be really interesting. Oh, that's so neat. Sounds kind of raw-ish. Not a whole, whole lot, but enough that I can't wait to see how it truly differentiates itself from that. But yeah, Well, it looks interesting. I mean, we were both fans of Suspiria, and it does have a really strong writing, so it'll be neat to see his next project. 
That's about all I had. I had a couple other things I was just reading, but... Well, that's cool. I've got a couple of other bits of news, just two in particular, but one of them is Alex Aja's alligator horror movie, Crawl. It is getting an earlier release, which is really cool. So we've talked about it. It's very similar to a film called Burning Bright, which also includes the star being trapped in a house with a very ravenous tiger during a hurricane. And in the film Crawl, Caio Scottolaria will play a young woman who, while struggling to save her father during a Category 5 hurricane, she finds herself trapped inside a flooding house and fighting for her life against Florida's most savage and feared predators. So, sounds like it's a mix of 47 meters down and Jaws. It is getting <laughs> its premiere on July 12th, 2019 here in the States. And it is being produced by Sam Raimi's Ghost House Pictures. So, looking forward to that. And the last little bit of news, this is more box office news. So, we did talk about the fact that we went and seen Pet Cemetery last night. So, right now, it reportedly has made $25 million over the weekend here domestically. And if you add in internationally, it's made 17.3 and for a total of 42.3 million. So, said it that if it tops $70 million globally, it will be considered a success. And if that happens... What did you say it's at right now? It's at 42.3. 42. Okay. Yeah, so a little less than $30 million for the next couple of weekends. But what I've seen is that if it does have that kind of success, there are talks of having a prequel as opposed to a sequel made of this. What would the prequel be? Judd's story, I'm guessing? I would imagine so. I mean, that's not a spoiler Maybe either. Even I mean, like, Judd's the only other character that would have been around. Yeah, some of the mythology to tie to. tied around it, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. That'd be pretty neat, but we'll see what happens. Uh, the other boy? That'd be pretty awesome. We'll see what happens, but... I can't think of his name. That's also that's not... That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much what I have to share this week, as far as news goes. I said what I had, so... I suppose let's stop for just a quick second, but we'll come right back into the Guts and Bolts. the guts and bolts where we're going to tell you about who and what went into this movie without getting to the movie itself and staying basically spoiler free it's our way of trying to sell you on perhaps checking this film out if you have never seen 1998's urban legend yeah like so as no myth it we is are going to sell you on urban legend right mm-hmm. now that's our job uh <laughs> i mean so spoiler free synopsis uh young college woman starts getting terrorized by a slasher who seems to be taking their inspiration from urban legends it's pretty straightforward right like yeah that's this is that's this movie so precisely i think that's a good brief synopsis of what this film tells god okay so where should we start because there's a lot of people or at least attached to this movie that like i mean even (laughs) cast and crew I mean, oh, cast, sides, exactly. cast, we have a bunch of people who ended up being... Huge stars. Huge. Maybe not a bunch that ended up being huge. Right, but, but there are quite a few. 
So I guess we'll start off like we do most weeks. We can start off with the crew in this, and I'll lead off with our director. And the director is Jamie Blanks. Now, Mr. Blanks has directed such films as Valentine. You might have seen his film Storm Warning. And he's also directed Long Weekend. Our writer for this is Silvio Horta. He's written for such projects as Urban Legends Final Cut. You might have seen his work on the television series The Chronicle, which was out from 2001 through 2002. He's also helped write for the show Jake 2.0 and the television series Ugly Betty from 06 through 2010. Now, I'm going to say something. That's a fucking huge win because Ugly Betty started out as a foreign show. I think it was Argentinian. Yeah, I know it was somewhere in South America. He adapted it for ABC. That's huge. Yeah. Um, it has been nominated for like 92 different awards. It has won like 44 of those That's awards. Amazing. Yeah. And he is the series adapter, show head, executive producer, yeah, that's head writer. Like, it's amazing. Way to go. That's a huge fucking win right yeah, there. Yeah, exactly, dude. I'm, I mean, that's nothing to be ashamed of whatsoever. That's awesome. That's the thing, though. Like, I realize like he's not the only person behind the scenes in this movie that it will never have to worry for want for anything again Jeez. in their life. <laughs> no kidding. So our cinematographer on this particular project is James Chrysanthus. Now, he has been the cinematographer for such things as Hexed. If you've ever seen the television series Nowhere Man from 95 through 96. He was also the cinematographer on the Martial Law television series. You might have seen his work in The Reagans. He was also the cinematographer on the film Three, the Dale Earnhardt story. He was also a part of Ghost Whisperer from 2005 through 2010. Was that the uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt one? It sure was because he did another one called The Client List from 2012 through 2013. And... I believe an episode of American Horror Story back in 2014. So that was pretty neat. Now our editor on this, pretty big name, and this gentleman is Jay Cassidy. So I looked at some of his works and I'm like, wow. We'd spend all day talking about a lot of his films when you look at his filmography, but he has been nominated for the Academy Award for Best Film Editing and for an Ace Eddie Award for Into the Wild that was directed by Sean Penn back in 2007. In 2012, he was nominated for a second Academy Award for Best Film Editing for Silver Linings Playbook, which he won the Eddie and Satellite Award for Best Editing. He's also a part of the American Cinema Editors. And when you look at some of his works, even more recently, he was the editor for Star is Born, which was huge. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The films Fury, American Hustle, I just mentioned Silver Linings Playbook. An Inconvenient Truth. Yeah, that's huge. The film Brothers was really good. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, such things as the assassination of Richard Nixon. Ballistic X versus Sever. <laughs> no, there was a few early ones, man. I thought it was really cool. No, he did one I'm a big fan of. I really like the Fright Night series. He was the editor on Fright Night Part 2. That was from 1988. He's also the editor on the film Brain Scan, which I'm a big fan of. And also The Replacement Killers back in 1998. So some really cool films. All right, so our music on this. We've talked about this gentleman several times. One time I was like, I think we're going to talk about him because of a film we watched yesterday. Yeah, so we talked about him before because of... What did we talk about him? So Because he did the first Hellraiser, but did he do... He did Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. Okay, so yeah. we talked about him because of Hellbound. Right, and also because of Trick or, or Treat. <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, exactly. So... 
We're talking about him again today, and Christopher Young, like I said, he's got a wealth of credits to his name, some really cool ones. One I'm a really big fan of is Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell. You might have seen such things as Swordfish, The Hurricane, Ghost Rider, Spider-Man 3, Copycat, The Grudge, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. So, I mean, he's, he's really Drag Me for, to Hell. Yeah, some really cool films. He's also been nominated for a Golden Globe Award for Best Original Score, well known in the industry. And the slightest pet cemetery, as you just said. Yeah, I mean, when you look at his body of works, we in just the 80s, listened to him last night. Yeah, nineties, two thousand, all the way up until yesterday. <laughs> so Elsa, some really cool shit, man. One of my favorites, actually, underappreciated film, is A Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two: Freddy's Revenge. All right, so our special effects team for this was Digiscope Digital FX and Gadgedecky Visual Effects, produced by Gina Matthews, Michael McDonald, and Neil H. Moritz. Neil H. Moritz is the one that I wanted to mention alongside Sylvia Horta, because he's the other one that basically never has to want for anything again. He's been the producer on all the Fast and the Furious movies. Oh, shit. That's That's an above-the-line fucking credit. Those movies make (laughs) all of the money. This guy is fucking loaded. He's got to be. Yeah, he's got to be. He's getting back end on all of those Fast and Furious movies. For being a producer, I would highly imagine so, dude. That's awesome. Good for him. Yeah. I mean, he's done a bunch of shit that I know we've seen. I know what you did last summer. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Cruel Intentions. Seen that several times. Blue Streak. Oh, yeah. The Skulls. Yes. (laughs) Saving Silverman. Oh, yeah, several times. Triple X. X gonna give it to you. (laughs) Slackers. Oh, Slackers is a good film, dude. Not Another Teen Movie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fucking swat really yeah wow <laughs> stealth <laughs> damn oh click that's pretty awesome i've seen that even if they're not the greatest movies these are all it's movies well a lot of people went and saw i think all of those movies made a lot of money <laughs> oh shit right? like you said all the monies yeah so good for him no doubt right <laughs> 21 jump street oh yeah that's pretty awesome man 22 jump okay <laughs> i'm just gonna stop basically all of these things if they've had a sequel he's also done the sequel for the most yeah, part that's really so. neat well if i'm not mistaken there is some trivia concerning him mr moritz that is and silvio which is really cool concerning like getting the script and getting it produced and all that good stuff but anyhow oh he's an executive producer on preacher which is that's one of awesome. my favorite shows right now which I just found out is ending after this fourth season, which kind of has me bummed, but whatever. Yeah, that's understandable. All right, so our production companies were Phoenix Pictures. They helped present this. Canal Plus, Duat's Audiovisuals, they were in association with. In original film, they went uncredited, but they helped produce this film. Distributor was TriStar Pictures. They helped with the 1998 USA theatrical release. It was released here in the States on September 25th, 1998. Its budget was an estimated $14 million. Opening weekend, it made $10.5 million. That was back on September 27th, 98. Gross here in the States, it made $38 million domestically and worldwide, $34.5. So it made a little over $72 million. Not bad. All right, I do have a couple of taglines. I've got three. Okay. There was a bunch of them, but I figured these were the ones that kind of appealed to me. So the first one I have is... Get ready to face your worst fears. Eh. It's like, yeah, that's kind of, yeah. All right. The second one I have is what you don't believe can kill you. I definitely like that more than the first one. And this one, of course, is a little bit on the nose because of 
what it says. At Pendleton University, urban legends are coming true. Okay. I mean, it's on the nose, but I mean, it's also the title of the movie, so I can't blame them too much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, so that's pretty much our crew. Now, we have a star-studded cast, and I'll lead off with a gentleman known as Jarrett Leto. You might have heard of him. He's Paul the Gardner. definitive movie joker, right? <laughs> the definitive live-action joker? Arguably Is that right. who you're talking about? <laughs> you got that right. All right, so... You know, we could sit here and talk about him all day. I mean, I think if you're a music fan, because you love music, he is in, was it 30 Seconds to Mars? Mars. Yeah, which actually, they're one of those groups where I forget how much 30 Seconds to Mars that I actually like until I put them on. And I'm like, oh, wait, I know this song. I kind of dig this song. Oh, wait, I I know this song. I kind of dig this song. uh, If it's on, I'll jam to it. But if it's not, I'm okay with that, too. Yeah, they're just yeah, they're just not a group I ever like seek out to yeah, put on. Exactly. Unless somebody starts talking about Jared Leto, then I'm like, I'm gonna go put on some Thirty Seconds to Mars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. All right. So some of the films, and actually before he even got into films, one of the shows that I remember him from because of high school was he was in MTV's My So Called Life, and from that he starred in such things as How to Make an American Quilt. Film I actually enjoy because there's two versions of it, but it's about the Oregon runner Prefontaine. He started the '97 version of that. Then that he was into really cool probably the first thing I ever saw him in was Prefontaine. That's a really good film. It's sad, but it's a really good film. Now he was also in such things as Fight Club. He was also in American Psycho. Great film. He's really good in Requiem for a Dream. Really fucked up film, but really like it. He was also in Panic Room. Alexander, Lord of War, which is a really good Nick Cage film. I like Lord of War. That's a good movie. Yeah. Chapter 27, which was about Mark David Chapman, the guy who killed John Lennon. He was also in the film Mr. Nobody. And more recently, because you talked about him being the Joker in Suicide Squad, and he was also in Blade Runner 2049. And he'll be coming up in the Sony-made Morbius movie where he's Dr. Michael Morbius from the uh, Marvel Comics. Morbius, the living vampire. Now, I'd probably be remiss if I don't at least mention this because this is pretty big, but because of Leto's performance as a transgender woman in Dallas Buyers Club, it earned him an Academy Award, a Golden Globe Award, and the Screen Actors Guild Award for Best Supporting Actor. So... He's known for being a method actor. I mean, especially if you look at his role in Chapter 27, he got big. And I don't mean swole. I mean, he, like, got fat. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so really good actor, man. I'm glad he's in this film. So along with Jared, we have Alicia Witt. She plays Natalie Simon in this film. And she's got some really cool credits, too. Now, some of her early ones, she was in Dune, David Lynch's Dune. And from there, he also put her in a couple of episodes of Twin Peaks from the early seasons. She also reprised her role later on in the Showtime series, which was really neat. So along with some of those, there was one film I saw her in. uh, Four Rooms. I've seen her in Four Rooms. I really like that film. There's a film that she's in with... uh, 88 Minutes? With Luke Wilson. And it's kind of, it's an all right film. I wasn't like blown away by it, but I was like, yeah, I've seen her in more than one thing before. But yeah, she's also known for you know doing theater work. She's done a lot of television series and stuff like that too, which is really neat. But yeah, Eighty Eight Minutes is a really good film because of Al Pacino. I have seen that film. Ooh-ah. Ooh-ah. Yeah, she was in Vanilla Sky, which is a really cool film. She was in Cecil B. Demented. 
She was also in Peep World. Bong Water. That was the film, Bong Water. It's not a bad film, but her character's kind of annoying. Jack Black, Brittany Murphy. It's like, it's got a stellar cast. It's not bad, but yeah, it's wasn't the greatest. Not as great as I wanted it to be. <laughs> so along with Alicia, our next actress I have is Rebecca Gayhart. She plays the character of Brenda Bates. She was in Scream Part 2. She was in the film... Just Nothing. the year before this. Yeah, film Nothing to Lose. Uh, Jawbreaker. Jawbreaker is a really, really good one, good. dude. Yeah, she was in From Dusk Till Dawn Part 3. She has a recurring role in the first season of Dead Like Me. Yeah, she played Betty Romer. I also have her that she was in the film Harvard Man, which is really good, man. Surprisingly, it was really good. She was also in Santa Slay. You might have seen her in the television series Vanished back in 2006. She was also in the film GBF and the upcoming film Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, I didn't know she was cast in that. Yeah, it's really cool. I was like, nice. Good for her. All right. So the next actor I have in this is the actor Michael Rosenbaum. He plays the character of Parker Riley. And he, I think, is probably more or less known for playing and portraying Lex Luthor on the Superman television series Smallville. And if I'm not mistaken, he has appeared more than anybody else as As Lex Luthor. Luthor. I'd believe it. And I believe Um, he might be one of, if not the only one, to actually shave his head to play the part. And I think he just keeps his head shaved a lot of the time now anyway. I think he kind of ended up just digging that look after a bit because yeah. I, I feel like most of the time when i see him now he's got his head shaved yeah i think i told you more recently because i do listen to podcasts on and off is he has his own podcast which is pretty decent it's just like him hanging out in his living room he'll invite somebody on and this is kind of shoot the breeze about the industry and you know their experiences mm-hmm. hanging out together and stuff so it's really cool but some of his early films include such things as midnight in the garden of good and evil he was in such films as Sorority Boys, which is not too bad. You know what? I never saw Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, but I will never fucking forget that movie and that goddamn statue out in the garden because of how many times I saw fucking commercials for it when they were first going to put it on HBO. Yeah, exactly. What's <laughs> up with that? <laughs> now, he's also voiced for Ghoul in Batman Beyond, The Return of the Joker. He was in the film... I really like it. Kind of got shut on a little bit, but he was in the film Kicking It Old School. He was also the voice of Barry Allen slash The Flash in Justice League Doom. You might have also heard him as Drift Leader in Justice League Throne of Atlantis. He was Martin and Stinaga in Gardens of the Galaxy, Volume 2. And the more recent movie, The Neighbor. Now, there was a couple of series I remember watching him. Outside of Smallville, there was a a show that he did. It was like, I want to say late 90s, early 2000s with uh, Summer Blair. I can't remember the name right off the top of my head, but it was a short-lived series. And uh, I was like, yeah, I remember him from that. It was called uh, Zoe Duncan, Jack and Jane, yeah, from 99 through 2000. He was also the voice of Tom Ravenhurst and the Wild Thornberries. Like I said, he's done some pretty cool projects, man. A lot of animation. Teen Titans, he was Kid Flash. You might have seen an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So I like him, man. He's a pretty cool cat. I know he's a big hockey fan, so that's really cool. All right, so along with Michael, we have Loretta Devine. She plays the character of Reese Wilson, and she's really cool. The one thing I was like looking through on some of these notes is it said she was inspired because she's actually like played a similar part. She worked at Brandeis University, and I was like, oh, I know where that's at. I've actually been to Brandeis. So okay. Brandeis University is a 
liberal arts college in Waltham, Massachusetts. And I don't know if they still do it, but at the time that I'd visited, it was like back in 96, they also held the rookie training camp for the Boston Celtics. So I got to see the rookies for the Celtics back in 96, and it was on the campus of Brandeis. It was at the Red Arbach Center. So okay, it's like, oh, that's pretty interesting. I had no idea. But uh, anyhow, she has been in some really cool roles. So See, when I saw her on screen, I was like, oh, shit. I know that I've seen her in things, especially things when I was growing up, but I couldn't quite play some. I looked up her filmography, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I completely forgot that I've seen the movies Class Act and Live in Large. I know. That's really, <laughs> that's really cool, isn't it? But then I'm like, oh, I gotta watch Class Act again. <laughs> Class Act is actually really good, man. Fucking kid and play? Hell yeah, it's good. <laughs> no shit, right? Yeah, so she was also in Amos and Andrew, which is not a bad film. You might have seen her in such things as Lover Girl. She was in the film The Breaks, which is a kind of a funny urban kind of uh, movie. She was in I Am Sam. We talked about Sean Penn earlier, which is not a bad film. She was also in the film Crash. She was in King's Ransom. It's a pretty decent film. You might have heard her voice in Beverly Hills Chihuahua, if you ever watched that. She was in... Or the PJs. Oh, PJs is good. I fucking love the PJs, PJs dude. is awesome, dude. She was in Grandma's House. Such films as Night School. And she's in the upcoming Welcome to Pine Grove, which is really neat. So, yeah, she's been in some really cool films, man. So, along with Loretta, we have Joshua Jackson, who plays Damon Brooks. And when I saw that he was in this film, I was like, we finally get to talk about Pacey. God damn it, Pacey. <laughs> so, when you think about Joshua, what are some of the things that you think about? Now, I never actually watched Dawson's Creek. Never saw the Dawson's Creek? I never, yeah, I never saw the Dawson. I mean, I probably saw like two episodes of the Dawson total. Tyler, I don't want to wait for our lives. <laughs> Uh, however, I was a gigantic fan of the Mighty Ducks. Dude, I know, right? And so he's always going to be Charlie Conway to me. Charlie. Yeah, Charlie was awesome. Charlie got the triple deke down. <laughs> he was the star. Also, I mean, Cruel Intentions. <laughs> cruel in- Yeah, dude. He's been some really cool shit. The biggest thing for me was, yeah, Mighty Ducks and then this. Well, he was in a television series for a long time, dude. He was in Fringe. From mm-hmm. 2008 to the 2013 as Peter Bishop. He also was in such things as Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which is really neat. He was on uh, 28 episodes of the show The Affair. We talked about the fact that he was Pacey. And that's one thing I remember him from. And you know, like I said, you also talked about the fact that he was in all those Mighty Duck films. But he was also in The Apt Pupil. You might have seen him in The Skulls. I know we talked about that a little bit. He was also in Ocean's Eleven as himself, which is really neat. He was in such things as Bobby, Battle in Seattle. More recently, such films as Inescapable in Sky. So, yeah, pretty cool cat, though. I've seen him in a lot of cool interviews. All right, so moving along, I do have Tara Reid, who plays Sasha Thomas in this. And when I think about her, there's a couple films. I think about her in The Big Lebowski. Okay. I remember all those American Pie films. That's probably more I, yeah, or so I what I think American about her Pie, as. And then, of course, more recently, Sharknado. Oh, all those Sharknados. Phew. Yeah, she's been in some pretty interesting films. I know she had, like, you know, some interesting things going on, but it was mostly just... I think she still does. Well, yeah. (laughs) I don't think it has stopped yet from everything I have heard. No. I think it is just continuing. 
I think we all know the shenanigans Tara Reid has been up to over the years. Yeah, it's, it's dumb shit, but some of the films that she has done that are pretty decent, man. I think were, she was in Josie and the Pussycats. She was in the film Van Walder. I really like that one. She was in the film My Boss's Daughter, which was all right, and she was also in the film Alone in the Dark. So she's got some pretty interesting titles, but like you said, more recently, some of those Sharknado films. So yeah. if you're into that, you've probably seen her a lot. So along with Tara, we have the actor John Neville. He plays the character of Dean Adams, and he's got a body of work as well. That's like really interesting. Huge body of work. I'm just saying, so where do you start? So some of the stuff you can actually start with maybe is he was in Terry Gilliam's The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. He did a lot of stuff in the United Kingdom. I mean, he worked in you know Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. He was also in Othello, Richard II. So a lot of his work there. Yeah, I think he moved to Canada, and when he did, he started doing some Terry Gilliam things like I just mentioned. He was in The X-Files. You might have seen him in The Fifth Element. He was the Earth Space Navy Admiral, which is kind of neat. <laughs> yeah, so when you look at his filmography, too, it's like I said, it's just a body of wealth from the 60s all the way up through the early 2000s. Yeah, I don't have much else to add to that. He's done a shit ton of things, huh? Yeah, and like some of them we've already mentioned, like he was in The Harvard Man, which that's, like I said, is a really interesting film, man. It kind of flew under the radar, but it's it's not bad, man. All right, so anyhow, moving along, we have Julian Richings, who plays Weird Janitor in this, and he's been in some pretty cool films, too. The most notable thing, though, is that he's death on Supernatural. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty awesome, dude. Now, he was in David Cronenberg's film, Naked Lunch, really weird film. He was in the horror film Mimic. You might have seen him in The Boys Club. He played Alderson in the film Cube. He was also in the movie Pell Saints, which is pretty interesting. He played Einstein. He was in Detroit Rock City as the ticket taker. <laughs> I love that movie, man. He was also in such things as Wrong Turn. He played one of the monsters, Three Finger in that. He was in the film Skinwalkers. You might have seen him in X-Men, The Last Stand. We might have mentioned him in The Witch. There's a possibility, yeah. Wasn't he like the governor or something like that? Yeah. He was also in Saw Part 4. He was in a bunch of the Roxy Hunter films. He was in Percy Jackson in The Olympians, The Lightning Thief, which is really neat. He was in Man of Steel. He played Lord M. This is an episode where we're just touching on all my favorite shows. We talked about Preacher not too long ago. Yeah, man. Just this year, I'm fucking in love with the Doom Patrol adaptation they have going on, and he was Sturmbannführer von Fuchs. Nice. In uh, two episodes, and I love American Gods to Death. I reread the novel every year, and he just showed up, I think, two weeks ago nice. as Iktomi, yeah, the nice, uh, Native American trickster god. So Nice. Hell yeah. Now, he was also in a few episodes of a show that I've seen because I mentioned that he'd done some work in Canada. Well, he was on a television show entitled Puppets Who Kill. So if you ever come across that one, check it out. It's really funny, especially if you like puppets. All right, so moving along, I have Robert England, no stranger to this podcast Ooh. because he's been in numerous episodes. We've covered who's this? Some guy named Bobby. <laughs> Bob, Bob, Bobby Britton. Bobby Britton, yeah. <laughs> I like it. So uh, some of the early ones that we've talked about him with, I think probably the first one, if I'm not mistaken, was A Nightmare on Elm Street, right? As Freddy Krueger. We talked about him in Behind the Mask. We've talked about him. Wasn't he in Wishmaster, right? Yep. We've, let me see, there was one other thing I think we talked about him in as well. Fuck, fine, no. Yeah, but I mean, we've talked about him multiple times. 
He's been in a wealth of horror films. He is no stranger to the horror community. Like I said, he's an icon. I'll always remember him as that. I also remember him because of the Freddy's Nightmare television series, which is pretty decent. Oh, we talked about him in Idle Hands. That There you go. Yeah, in Idle Hands. So I knew there was more than three. Man, I was thinking about him even more. The fact that we were just going to be bringing him up again. And I realized he's an actor that so often when you see him in a movie... He's so iconic as Freddy that you want to talk about his part as a cameo, Cameo. but it's not. (laughs) No. I mean, most of the time when you see him in a movie, it's because he's a working actor and he's just, it's not a cameo appearance. He's playing a fucking role. So, and this is what, I mean, just another one of those movies. He's not making a cameo. He's just playing a role. Yeah, exactly. But But so often, I think when he appears in a movie, people want to be like, and a cameo appearance by... (laughs) <laughs> yeah robert england and it's only because he is so iconic as freddy so yeah that's quite understandable but yeah i'm still glad that he's doing a lot of projects i mean he's got an upcoming film called abruptio i've even seen such things as like hatchet which i'll be mentioning an actress who was in some of those series here in just a moment so moving along we have daniel harris she plays the character of tosh guarniri and when I think about her, she was in some really cool films that I actually saw growing up. One of those include Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. It's like, that's pretty awesome. She was also in The Last Boy Scout. You might have seen her in Free Willy. Okay, There's one so, I'm leaving out, a big one. Okay, I'm not quite sure what you're choosing to leave out right now. But I feel almost kind of bad because she has, I mean, she has a lot of like horror cred she oh, no she's been around for a while like you said she's in don't tell mom the babysitter's dead and like other like really well-known films from like the early 90s yep exactly what i will always know her from is tv mm-hmm. she was in one episode of boy meets world oh nice oh, where yeah. she played Teresa kiner tk nice. who was harley kiner's oh. little sister nice. and she dates Corey for an episode nice hell yeah <laughs> Go and <laughs> she is Debbie Thornberry in The Wild Thornberries, yeah. which I watched the shit out of, mostly because of Tim Curry. Yeah, no doubt. And man. then Flea as well. What a weird voice cast, but... No shit, right? That's really cool. But the big one I'm kind of leaving out is, if you've ever seen Halloween 4 and or 5, she played Jamie Lloyd, which was really big. And like I said, I've seen her in Hatchet. I believe she's in... That's the, the thing, she has like one. legit horror cred because oh, yeah. of Halloween Huge 4 and 5 man. and because of uh, Hatchet. And she's in like Stakeland and obviously like this movie. For me, she's Boy Meets World and uh, Wild Thornberries. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Because of the time period I grew up in, it's like I can't help but remember her in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. This is a good funny movie growing up. So moving along, we have Natasha Gregson Wagner. She plays Michelle Mancini. So think about that last name because we'll talk about it later on. But she might be more famously known as the daughter of two Hollywood, I don't want to say mega stars, but some pretty big stars and for some unfortunate reasons. But she is the daughter of Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner. Isn't Wagner like adopted dad? Yeah, you're right. She's actually the uh, the daughter of uh, Richard Gregson. But yeah, more famously, Natalie Wood. So, some of her early credits... Kind of wood doesn't float. I know, dude. That's such a fucked up joke. <laughs> oh, my God. Now, she had a small part in the film Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which is really cool. 
She was also in such things as Modern Vampires. She was in the Hefner Unauthorized Story and The Shaggy Dog. She was in Wes Craven's film The Outpost. You might have seen her in the film High School High, which is pretty funny. She was also in Two Girls and a Guy. She was in several episodes of Ally McBill. She was also in Another Day in Paradise. She was in such films as Stranger Than Fiction, High Fidelity, which, man, I'm a real big John Cusack fan. I'm not going to lie. I like that a lot. You've probably seen her in uh, ER. Yeah, she's in two episodes. 21 Guns, which is the one right after, oh, God, I can't remember his last name. Michael Gallant? Was that it? I don't know. But it's right after he dies. Uh, (laughs) You know, we talked about, there was another person who was in those vampire films, uh, those Wes Craven films. Mm. She was in Vampires, Los Muertos. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's pretty interesting. She was also in the film Wonderland and more recently in uh, Anesthesia, which is really neat. All right, so moving along, we have Stephanie Ann Mills. She is voiced in this because we only hear her voice, but she was the character Felicia. She calls in to the radio station. Is Felicia the one that swallowed? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. She's a swallower. <laughs> All right, so... When you start listening or looking at her titles, but I say listening for a reason, is because she does a lot of voice acting. Now, she has done such things as I've already mentioned one of them was Roxy Hunter and the Mystery of the Mood Ghost. But she's got some other cool, interesting characters that she's done for several episodes. Such things as like Dex Hamilton. You might have seen that if you're into kid shows. My dad at the rock star. It's like, that's kind of interesting. She was in uh, Bakugan. Like, this is some anime. Horde Henry, Total Drama Presents. So it's like a lot of like said characters that she's done voice so acting. If you if you have kids, you've probably heard her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like said such things as Sixteen, which all of these I've never seen. Man, I have no reason to be watching this stuff. But it's like that's pretty cool. I mean, she's mostly known for her voice acting. All right, and the last person I have, big name. We've talked about him for several reasons, but. Today I'm talking about Brad Dourif. He plays the character of Michael McDonald, and we have actually talked about him because we covered a series of slasher films. He was in Child's Play because he voiced Chucky. And some of the other things I think about Brad being in, he was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. There's a reason that he stutters in this film. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a series I have. It was The Hitchhiker. It came on HBO back in the late 80s. He was on an episode of that with Kirstie Alley, which was really neat. He's also been in The Exorcist Part 3, which is really fucking good. He plays a really cool character in that. But I'll always remember Brad for being the voice of Chucky in Child's Play. I agree. And uh, Grima Wormtongue in Lord of the Rings. Yeah, exactly, dude. So very familiar face. Been some really cool... Like I said, movies, voice, a lot of cool characters. That pretty much rounds out the cast and crew. We did give you a brief synopsis. We have to give you some warnings because there is some pretty neat stuff in this film. Make it a little squeamish, perhaps. Warnings, let me think. I mean... There's some language. Language. There's a little bit of gore. A little bit of blood and gore. The microwave's the worst. I don't know what I want to say about that. Yeah, we. I know what you're saying. Yeah. That um, might be the worst. Yeah. You don't see it, but an animal dies. Yeah, so sad. That's but always a bummer. I guess I, special, that's the biggest warning things. I would want to leave on all actuality. That's usually the biggest bummer. So yeah, exactly. But yeah, outside of that, just like you said, your conventional horror film, nothing too outside the norm. Right. Well, shit. Let's get into it and and find out how 
After all these years, <laughs> Urban Legend made us squeal. Ooh. God, what's happening to me? Oh God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh God, what? What's going on? Oh Jesus, come on! Oh my God, what's what's going on? Where where am I? Oh gee, why why? Come on, somebody, somebody! Ah, come on, come on, come on, come on, somebody! Sir, come on, somebody, somebody's there. Somebody's got to be there. I will shock you. Come on, sir. Come on, sir. You must listen to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? Alright, Urban Legend. How did it make you squeal? I guess we'll start off kind of like usual. What's your fucking history with this movie? Okay, so, 1998. I was a young man, 16, going on 17. So, I'd mentioned that Jared Leto was in the television series My So-Called Life. And my sister, Ashley, she's a huge Jared Leto fan. Like, okay. It's like one of her main boyfriends. And uh, anyhow, so because of that show and because of this film, we watched this film a couple times in high school. It was during that rash of films that came out that were geared towards kind of my demographic, mm -hmm. the teens, 13, 14, 15, 16, etc. So yeah, I saw this probably 98, 99, but I probably haven't seen it since. Okay, so... I didn't have a way in through like Jared Leto or something like that, but I guess I mentioned before how like my parents didn't really care if I watched horror movies, but we just like, we didn't own many, especially cause like there was whole, like my dad didn't want, let me watch the exorcist till I was 13 cause of how bad it scared him when he was young and shit. And so like, we didn't actually have many horror movies around. They didn't care if I watched them like and went and rented them and shit, but like they just weren't around. This was one of the only horror movies that we somehow ended up owning. <laughs> nice. So I probably didn't see it till it had already been out for a little bit. I didn't see it in theaters. I know that. Yeah, I did not either. It, like, it wasn't really on my radar. I honestly don't know like who bought it or anything. I don't know how we got it. The copy we had was from Crazy Mike's video. Oh, nice. Here dude. in town. Yeah. But we never went to Crazy Mike's. And I even remember, like, the first few months that we had it around the house, I didn't watch it because I didn't know whose it was. Like, nobody was like, oh, hey, got a new movie or anything. It just sort of appeared. So I didn't know whose it was or anything. I didn't know what the fuck it was. All I saw was, you know, like, Urban Legend, and internet wasn't as fast back then, so I couldn't just go be like, hey, oh, it's a horror movie that came out, like, yeah, a year ago exactly. or whatever. And then I was also doubly confused because it was like crazy mics and I was expecting somebody to just bring it back any second and whatever. I finally got around like putting it in, watched it. I didn't just end up watching it. Like it was one of the only horror movies I had. I watched this fucking movie probably about 30 times. No doubt. So you know it well. The thing is, I haven't seen it since probably year 2000. I, I watched it at. probably 30 times between 98 and 2000. <laughs> That's awesome. Easy. Easy. Hell yeah. But... I haven't seen it since then. The last time I watched this movie was on a VHS Dang. on an old CRT screen. Wow. Not even flat screen. Holy shit. And so it was kind of a trip to watch it on my fucking TV today. <laughs> I'd say so, yeah. Considering, dude. Well, fucking 4-3. Nice. 
Yeah, it's been a hot minute since I had seen this. It's like I remember it. I remember bits and pieces of it, but it was nice to revisit for sure. I yeah, I still for the most part knew every fucking beat that was coming as nice. soon as I sat back into it. Uh-oh, I couldn't have yeah. told you beforehand, but as soon as I was in it, I was like, oh yeah, whatever. So it was actually really hard to take <laughs> notes this morning because I kept just like zoning off of the movie because I'm like, fucking, I know what happens. Yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's really not a hard film to follow. It has a really good premise and well. Let's get to why it's not a hard film to follow. Right. This movie, I didn't realize it back then, but this movie's just fucking scream. It follows <laughs> a certain formula, you know? And it makes no bones about it either. I mean, it kind of pokes fun at that fact, mm-hmm. you know, which is nice. It's like it acknowledges the fact that it's in this rash of teenage horror films. I mean, it plays exactly like a fucking 90s teen it really does. movie slash horror movie. Starring actors in their 20s. <laughs> Wow, yeah. At least they made them college age, though. Yeah, I feel like a smart. lot of movies in this time period would have tried high to school. pass off that same cast as high school. That was smart for them to be college age. Yeah, which is like... A lot more believable. A lot more believable. I think she's very attractive, but I don't think Rebecca Gayhart ever has looked like she belonged in high school. She has no, a weird face shape where I think she went from looking like she belonged in elementary school to looking like, like she adult. belonged in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. It is interesting. Like, certain people do, you know, they mature faster, of course, and they put on the, um, a more mature appearance. I completely understand that, yeah. But it was fun to revisit for several reasons. Like, so one of them was the fact that it has a really good cast, and knowing some of the other appearances, and then seeing some of the nods it was paying, you know, throughout the film. That was really cool. Also, I should say that, like, Given that I saw this movie about 30 times between the ages of like, oh shit, 11 to 13 or 14, this was actually a really weirdly formative horror movie for me. And like looking back on it, that kind of might explain some things because this is like slightly meta and it was a weird touchstone. Like one of my first notes was that until old school, this movie is what I associated Total Eclipse of the Heart with. No kidding. When I would hear Total Eclipse of the Heart, in my head, I would hear her doing an off-pitch, like she does in the beginning of this movie, and I wouldn't be throwing in the fucking, (laughs) you're my boy, Blue, like I would now. Yeah, exactly. And that's not even even the right song. That's okay, but I know what you're getting at. But you know what I'm getting, yeah. 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 I just completely, I'm fucking stoned, but you know what I'm saying, though. Right, I mean, that song... That's not even the right fucking song. I really fucked that up. No, the the song itself has been referenced several times. You're right, but it's neat to attach it to this film because it is played out. And Mm -hmm. that was one of my early notes. Not necessarily that the song, you know, itself is in the film, but the fact that it's like, oh, wow, she's like really cute, but... Ooh, wee girl, you please stop singing. You need to stop. <laughs> you need to, girl, you need to knock that shit off right now. Yeah, exactly. But I like how it leads off. It's paying a little homage, I think, or tribute to The Shining. I feel like with some of the overhead shots. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. Not necessarily, you know, the theme, but just the shot itself. It's just using that that certain technique. But there's a call, a caller calling about birth control pills and baby aspirin, which. Started leading off with an urban legend. So, urban legend. If you can remember back to the first time you watched this movie, mm-hmm. how many of the urban legends in this movie did you already know about? That's a really good question. I know if we go through them individually... And I mean, I, I'm asking you to think back quite a bit, but... I know what you're saying. I would say probably at least 
five, maybe six, at least that many. I'm trying to think. I knew about the killer in the back seat. Yeah, definitely knew about that. Bloody Mary, because, I mean, we yeah, talked Bloody about Candyman, Mary. so I already knew about that. I didn't know about Pop Rocks and Soda. Like, I knew it was supposed to, was like, supposed to... fuck your guts up. Not only did I know that, but I had heard the Mikey bit. Yeah. And yeah. I knew who Mikey was because Give we were in that weird age of television where we all Marshalls. had to know everything because there wasn't quite that many stations yet. Exactly. It had branched out from when there was only three stations, but there still wasn't that many, and you saw a lot of fucking reruns. Oh, man, you're not kidding. No, I didn't know about the boyfriend in the tree. I didn't know that one. Yeah, I didn't know about that one. I did know about the gang initiation, like the headlight thing. I had heard about that before. Like, don't if someone has their lights off, don't flash. I've heard about that. I think... This movie might have been where I heard about that one. Okay. I don't think I knew that one going into it. Yeah, that was kind of a rumor I had heard being in high school. I don't think I knew the aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light one either. Yet. Yeah, I don't think I knew about that one either. In fact, I don't know if I've ever heard that version. But I've, of course, heard the uh, like the dogs aren't the only things that can lick or whatever. Did you hear where the... the Ooh. Feeling the licking Ooh. with the hand hanging off the set. I edge. hear you. I hear you. <laughs> no, I'm talking about. So, what's the the other one they have here is uh, ankle slasher under the car. No, I, I had known about that a little bit, not necessarily by that name, but you can associate it too with like the monster under the bed. I feel like that's it's the same concept. See, for Something me, reaching, for me, grabbing. it was the same concept as the killer in the back seat. Yeah, even with like. You can associate that with Pet Cemetery. Yeah. You know, you really can. So I did know a variation of that story. I had never heard the Love Roller Coaster thing when Me I was either. 11. No, never heard of that either. <laughs> I never had heard about the old lady drives wet dog in microwave nope. either. I did know about the kidney heist. I've yeah, heard I about that. Say, even that young, I had heard about the kidney heist yeah. for sure. So there's some of that. And birth uh, control, I didn't know. No, I had heard, of course, about the oral sex and ingesting semen because that's a rumor with certain celebrity <laughs> see i might have put that together if she would have said like i just blew the entire lacrosse team <laughs> yeah uh, that's funny <laughs> but from one guy i didn't yeah. put it together that it was even supposed to be a reference to that urban legend i don't think at the time i knew about this but i did know about this later on was the getting penis, stuck penis captivist yeah i was like all right we had covered a film recently, right? We did Black Christmas, and this story is pretty much the basis of that, but it was the babysitter and the man upstairs legend. Right. Yeah, so I knew about that even prior to this film. I'd never heard about the spider eggs in Bubble Yum, though. Ooh, I hadn't heard about it in Bubble Yum, but I'd heard about spider eggs in food. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, variations, but I'd never heard it in Bubble Yum. I would have known that because I chewed a lot of bubble gum back then. <laughs> bubble gum was one of them. Yeah. But yeah, that's... The only thing I heard about bubble gum was about it sticking in your guts. Yeah, yeah, like don't swallow it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've heard all and that shit. And I was shit. like, I know that that's bullshit. Yeah, it's I'm like it takes seven years or something for it to digest. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. We've all heard those rumors, which is neat. That's kind of why I like the premise of that because I think every kid young adult has heard some type of urban legend you know like the hand-me-down second third hand tellings of certain things oh yeah i knew that person because of that person yada yada yeah i'm kind of surprised we didn't get the uh hook hand oh yeah 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 in fact i'm surprised we got the boyfriend on the roof instead of the hook hand that's a good point yeah. but considering yeah 
so that was really neat, man. Like, so there was a lot of these things I already knew about. There were some interesting things I didn't know about. And I like how they incorporated that into this film and made it feel genuine. You know, it didn't make it feel forced or trivial. I was going to say, although I don't think this is the greatest film in the world by any means, it's also not boring. I've just seen it fucking way too many times exactly. at this point. So I just zone out of it almost automatically. <laughs> but the thing that sort of stuck out to me was that for being a movie that was essentially made to cash in on the success of Scream, mm-hmm. it's kind of a success. Like, they made a good movie. It's yeah, not It's not just it stupid, is. blatantly... No. Like, I mean, it's kind of blatantly Scream, but it's also right. not just blatantly trying to be the same thing. No, no, no. It's it like, has its no, own we're going to do our own little twist, and then we're going to live in that version of it. Right, right, right. And that's why I like the fact that it does, or at least it's aware of the fact that it's doing these things. You know, and it can be a little campy around those edges. Mm-hmm. But it's nice, though, because it's not like, oh, we're ripping you off and we're not going to acknowledge the fact. You know, it's just like, no, they were playing with the formula at that time. All right, so if we go in sort of from the beginning, I guess if we can just start going through our Yeah, notes no, that's here. fine. That's fine. Because my first note after the fucking total eclipse of the heart <laughs> thing is that I wrote, fuck Brad, just write it. <laughs> i know right it's like oh man this is such a hokey character dude but i i, I dug it and i kind of dug how it was almost it almost felt a little bit like uh hills have eyes too a little bit you're right it sure did the other thing is i think if i'm not mistaken they were more or less kind of paying tribute or honor and acknowledging Cuckoo's that nest. yeah that he had the stutter speech impediment and that as well so but it did feel a little hokey and it went on so long that I added a second note to that of today, Junior. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? I liked it too because I think with films like this, if you've never seen it before, it gives you a sense of like, there's something off about him. What is he trying to do? But the whole time he's actually trying to help. And the other thing is what it did remind me of is a film that came out much later as uh, Tucker and Dale. Exactly, and sort of yeah. the way they play with the gas station scene in that. I like and I'm that. like, I like when you play with this guy. Because everyone knows what this gas station scene is. But Yeah, it's a way to give you kind of like misdirection, you know, misunderstanding, things like that. So, yeah, I like that. They did a good job of that. But the whole thing is, is you get the very first urban legend killing. And that is the person in the back seat with the axe, which is really good. They did a good job with that. Which they had to change the model rig they were using. I heard about that. They had, was it a Land Rover? They had a Land Rover, but there wasn't enough room in the Land Rover to actually swing the axe. Yeah, exactly. So they had to switch over to a different SUV. Uh, was it like a Suburban or something? Yeah, I don't remember, I think. Yeah, but just something larger with a, more room inside. But yeah, that's kind of funny. I didn't write anything again until they were trying to fucking summon goddamn Bloody Mary. <laughs> yeah, no, the only thing I've got in between that's probably worth a note is we talked about the fact that there's a caller. So Tara Reed's character has a, a call-in show about, also, like, sex talk. Tara Reed gets shit on a lot. She's not bad in this. No, she doesn't She's really not job. insanely good. No, I mean... I think there's one thing that she does competent. really good at that we'll get to later. But otherwise, I mean, she never does bad in this movie. No, 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 no. She holds her own. And like I said, she does a really good job. Yeah. But this is before she was all super drugged out. So I know. It's, just like, sad, but... it's still like cute terror read. Yeah, so she's really cute, man. <laughs> so the call that she gets, right, is the caller asks about having her stomach pumped after oral sex and ingesting semen. <laughs> I was like, that's funny because 
we talked about this fact. around inside me yeah the caller is the gal we talked about who does all the voice acting for children shows right i was like wow that's kind of funny dude oh fucking frat boy protein shake all right so when you when you think about that right not necessarily that that's something you want to think about freely i suppose like people ingesting semen but the story i've always been told i'm not going to say names but i've always heard it about a particular artist and having his stomach pumped. Uh, Rod Stewart? Yeah. I didn't want to say it, but yeah. And, you know, of course, it's, it's an urban legend. The same thing with, like, Richard Gere and Gerbils. Right. You know? Which they do kind of make they mention. They do mention that. Yeah. In this film, too. Not, like I said, not by name, but they make a sly reference to it. So, I thought that was kind of neat. Because that's something I heard growing up, too. It was weird. Yeah. And see, and even when we get to the Bloody Mary scene, like, my note is actually more just the fact that, like, in that scene... And a lot of the parts early in the movie, up until he becomes almost a kind of sexual salty douchebag <laughs> in the car. But Joshua Jackson's kind of almost like effortlessly charming in this movie. He really is. I kind of like the way he's kind of just like fucking fucking with the girls while they're trying to do dumbass Bloody Mary. Right. Without being obnoxious about it. Yeah. And kind of like he gets in his little lick and just like pieces out. And exactly. He's just a joker. He's having a good time. I kind of, I just really liked him in that scene. Fucking frosted tips and all. Dude, that was something else. All right, all right. 1998, right? I know you and I have already talked about this off of the podcast, but dude, when I think about that time period, right? It was a good time in my life for different reasons. It was a weird time period, too. But. When I saw him with that all blotted out, and I was thinking the frost tip era and Jinko jeans. I never wanted the frosted tips. I wanted the Jinkos. I was just too fucking poor. Yeah. But no, it just brought me back to that time period. Like, it was unique, the music, the style. Dude, do you know how much new metal I've been listening to lately? (laughs) You you know what I'm getting at there, right? Yeah. It's just a unique time period, right? It was interesting to be a part of it as a teenager, especially being the demographic it was kind of targeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like I was in it, never was a part of it, but I had friends at work, and it's like, all right, dude, whatever. That's the thing. Like, I mostly was just like too poor and didn't have access to the cool shit because it was like, <laughs> if I was gonna buy something, it was gonna be like the once a month when we came here to Missoula. Yeah, because you're not gonna find that shit in Superior. <laughs> what you're gonna find is fucking like hand me down lumberjack flannels. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't really like into any particular fashion or style. It's like. But I never wanted the frosted tips. Some of the other yeah. shit, though, I was like, especially during that time period, I'm like, yeah, that's pretty dope. <laughs> yeah, that's understandable, man. Yeah, I just thought it was like, it's it kind of unique because they did incorporate that into this film and, mm-hmm. you know, put it on Pacey. <laughs> what the fuck? Tosh is the worst roommate. <laughs> I, I know. What's up, Danielle? Damn. You got to at least put the fucking sock on the door, right? You would think. Or something, the yeah, fucking hair tie. Bowing straight out in front of the door, like... Hat. Looking out. Put something on the fucking doorknob. I know, put a, like a, a collar on the door. Do yeah. <laughs> a fucking collar. <laughs> put your goddamn choker. Yeah, there's like their goth, you know, so... On the door. Tosh is worse than fucking roommate in a terrifier oh yeah what the fuck because it seems like <laughs> she's having that shit all the time roommate and terrifier just seem like to be like just bad coincidence <laughs> no doubt that's funny anyway that's all i wanted to say about that yeah. <laughs> no one thing that i thought it was kind of neat too is some of the trivia involved with this is when you are introduced to that character you know uh, mm-hmm. tosh daniel harris's character 
It's Natalie, right? Alicia Witt. She finds a little medicine. Oh, uh, yeah, the lithium. Yeah, the lithium. And on Dr. It, the doctor's Charles Breen, right? So, Charles Breen is the author of the Encyclopedia of Urban Legends, right? And Charles William Breen is or was the production designer on this film. So, it has a unique Double. play yeah, in this film. Another thing I wrote down to because of the time period. Okay. Right? Now, when you are introduced to Tosh after the bone session, she's on the internet. Oh, and you can't use the fucking phone. I didn't right. make a note of that, but I was instantly like, oh, shit. I That's remember that. That's another thing the 90s carried was the fact that dial-up was the weapon of choice back then. Like, it was super expensive to have cable back then. Dude, at my house, we had dial-up through, like, 2005. So that was my life long, for a long time, fucking dude. time. And I'm right there with you. Oh, my God. Yeah, and so that was just like, oh, shit, I remember that. It didn't even take me out of it because it was just so ingrained to, like, what it was at that time period. Like, I was like, damn, that's pretty cool because that's another thing that you don't really see a lot of anymore, you know? It's mostly wireless. Okay, so, fucking Freddy Krueger's giving his goddamn talk. Yes, okay. And he brings up the call coming from inside the house. And Brenda's like, oh, no, that happened to somebody in my hometown. Now, we know that she's on a mission to take out Alicia Witt. Right, Natalie Cole. Oh, not Natalie Cole. Natalie, whatever her last name is. Michelle Mancini. Yeah, Michelle Mancini. Yeah. Anyway, we know that that's her overall mission. But she also obviously has no qualms taking out, like, bystanders. No. Or anyone who's going to help her further that goal. And I'm wondering, did she flip enough when her fiance yeah she did say that they were going to get married when her fiance got killed that before she actually left on her mission of revenge do you think some chick in town just pissed her off and that did happen to some girl because she did it i mean there's a possibility yeah she's psycho because upon like further watching this movie i'm like oh like now that I know that she's the killer, like there's no reason why that couldn't have actually happened in her hometown. Yeah. Because she did it. It's a good point. It's very well. The only reason you would say that that might not happen is because she is on a mission for certain people. Right. But, right. I mean, she kills a lot of other people. <laughs> well, what is neat because she's using the guise of the Stanley Hall massacre mm-hmm. because that was based off of a well, I think it was turned into an urban legend, if I'm not mistaken. Could have been vice versa, but anyway. It's a good ploy because there's also a teacher who's teaching a class on urban legends and folklore and all that good stuff. So it gives the killer a perfect motive, right? And they could blame it or pin it on anybody else because there's some interesting ties back to that shit, you know, in the university. But all right, I want to talk about Pacey a little bit more. Okay. Right before he gets off, right? One of the funniest things, and upon watching it for the first time, right, before taking my notes is he and uh, Natalie get in the car. Like, he wants to give her a lending ear. And when he cranks the car and he turns the radio I on... Wait. I don't want to be... It's like, oh, that's so funny. It's like, man, that was good. That made me chuckle. I, that was good. Then she winds up punching him in the face, and she asks him, would you like one black eye or two? And it's like, all right, that's pretty good, right? He goes off, takes a wizard. That's... When he gets apprehended by the killer and they play out the whole boyfriend murder or whatever the name of that particular urban legend is. Right. Yeah. The boyfriend. The boyfriend's death or whatever. 
Yeah, so I was like, that's pretty cool. I like how all that stuff played out. You know, she comes back with Reese later on, and they dismiss it because they find a beer can and no evidence of the crime committed. So when I saw that scene, my note ends up looking back in retrospect, especially with what you find. Okay, so spoiler, Brenda's the killer. (laughs) Yeah, I know. We've been alluding to it, right? Spoiler, Brenda's the killer. I kind of wonder in retrospect if the reveal of Brenda being the killer in this movie conditioned me for being okay with the twist reveal in high tension. Okay. And I don't know if I even have an answer for that or if there's a good discussion to come from that. But like when I was watching the scene, I was thinking about it in my head and I'm like, with all the times that I watched this movie when I was young, does this happening in this movie set me up to be okay with that later on because once you know that brenda's the killer this doesn't seem physically possible oh considering yeah you know what i'm saying oh no doubt yeah however you do also have to take into account the fact that this movie you find out at the end is a retelling that's really neat isn't it super meta which gets, yeah, which is a neat play on it. And it's like, oh, this is all an urban legend. Yeah, exactly. And this has become the new Stanley Hall Massacre. But, oh, look, there's Brenda. Murdered you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. I like that. Like, how, like, a super meta it gets, how it's playing up to these urban legends and depicting them and making, you know, poking fun, I suppose, a little bit at it, too. But, like, in High Attention, which we still haven't went over on the pod, but whatever fucking spoiler but spoilers for high tension sorry but when you find out that the chick's the killer you realize that some of the shit wasn't physically possible for her no doubt and that's the interesting thing too is like when you play with certain logic and you're not sure exactly who's narrating the story you can toy around with certain concepts and get away with it you Mm -hmm. know and i know that that twist yeah in that movie took a number of people out of that movie i've seen that sentiment echoed around a bit i liked it though because that was unique as well Mm -hmm. like yeah it doesn't make sense when you try to think about it like logically you know what i mean but for me i still don't get distracted by those facts you Mm -hmm. know when when i see how they get played out and there's times in movies where that does distract me but it didn't in high attention and i wonder if it's because of this movie i can see that the reveal doesn't distract from the fact that you know this could happen you know Mm -hmm. and it makes sense because of what happens like what the reveals are with the characters and She's lost her boyfriend and all that shit, so she has perfect ammunition to to play these things out. So getting beyond that, I do want to say that as much as I was like, what the fuck, Tosh, earlier, my (laughs) next note is like, fuck yes, Monster Magnet, I'm all about Tosh, give me some Tosh. (laughs) I know, that's that's pretty awesome, eh? I'm like, she's the one for me, she's listening to all the music I'd be getting down to. Both in that time period and in this current time period, as I listened to Crop Circle just the other day. <laughs> well, it was funny, too, is we talked last week about industrial music, right? Not that this is an industrial band, but it's kind of like an offshoot of it a little bit. But Stabbing Westward is... Oh, yeah, they pop... Yeah, and I was like, man, I used to actually get down on them, because I have a friend of mine who's... He got down on them, and I got down on them through proxy. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's pretty cool, because it's like, you either know about them or you don't, but yeah. Good soundtrack. <laughs> Shit, what do you got next? Oh, just most of my notes are just, you know, like playing the movie out. But let's see. Some of the stuff that I liked about this was, like I said, learning the reveal. Like the gang initiation. There is some foreshadowing 
moments in this film, of course. It comes up a couple times, or versions of right. it, or things pertaining to it come up. You could theoretically put it slowly together without the actual <laughs> full reveal, but it might be a little tough. But it's all leading up there. I kind of like that. It's still good. Yeah, and I like the <clears throat> fact, too, that up until the reveal of Rebecca Gayhart's character, Brenda, right? Mm-hmm. Revealing who she was, it's like... This film gave you enough reasons to believe that there could have been a couple of people responsible for it. And I so do that's like that almost my last note. So almost my last note of this movie is that they have like four fake out killers packed <laughs> yeah. into like the last 25 minutes of this movie. And I think I dug it a lot more when I was young, but it was almost tiresome my second time watching it this morning yeah i know you're saying it it was kind of like that too i'm like i like this film but watching it more than two or three times in a row man you know what's happening you know what's coming and they just are like oh and he's the killer kidding he's the killer kidding yeah he's the killer kidding all in a space of like 25 minutes yeah it doesn't take long once that does start and then she's the killer yeah (laughs) you're like oh okay and then you have like seven minutes of that. and then What I do like as well is Rebecca Gayhart as that character, she did a really good job. Like I was thinking, man, you know, I don't know anything about her personally, of course, but it's like if she's anything like she is in that character, she... You know the fucked up irony to this movie, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. I do know about some stuff with involving cars and all that it's stuff. fucked up. Yeah, I know it's sad. I mean, it's sad, but it's also fucked up that, like, her character in this movie... The coincidence behind it, yeah, it's like, it's uncanny, but, yeah. For those who are interested, I guess you can look that stuff up, but she was involved in a vehicular manslaughter. manslaughter. And basically got the same sentence that Michelle Mancini got in this movie. That's crazy, man. (laughs) It was a community service and probation and stuff, yeah. yeah. Like, so it is unfortunate, and it's a weird coincidence. So... (laughs) There was a couple things I noticed these couple times through. The Achilles shot and all that, that scene is all really cool. But I noticed that the timing just doesn't seem to work. Because I made the note that when that happens, Reese couldn't have been any more than about 15 foot away. Really close. I did notice upon rewatching that they folded in some sound to make it sound like as soon as she leaves the frame that she goes through a door okay and that it closes behind her gotcha however and i'm not 100 percent positive on this i'm about 80 percent positive but as i watched through that scene i think it's impossible for a door to be that close to them gotcha yeah in proximity i think the closest door is like 20 feet away from where they're at yeah because they're and she makes it maybe 15 feet away before all that shit happens with the timing of it you're absolutely right as far as like continuity stuff with timing it doesn't add up too much but she's close enough that if he just would have yelled out in pain oh yeah through a door she would have hurt him she would have hurt hurt it yeah but i do like how it, it gets played out his death the dean that is and that was a gruesome death like that would have sucked i thought about that death for years and years and like the first time i actually saw some of those fucking spikes spikes yeah that was the first thing i thought of was like oh shit urban legend (laughs) yeah i know right i like that too how they have the sign on there it's like oh damn i was on the nose but severe tire damage (laughs) yeah it's like that's funny dude all right so moving along a little bit 
there's a party that's hosted by like one of the frats that Parker, who is Michael Rosenbaum's character, is hosting, right? That's when Paul tries to tell them, you know, there's a killer on campus. He makes fun of him. And, uh, you know, you get this reveal with Natalie and Paul. All that shit gets played out. Brenda gets jealous. The fucking dog. Not only can it take a funnel hit, <laughs> right? But he got microwaved. That was sad. It's fucked up. It went from, like, being the coolest dog to being the saddest dog. I don't know, fucking beer bong into yeah. with fucking nose piercing in. That was awesome. What was the dog's name? Rudy? Is that what it was? Hootie. Hootie. Okay, it's like, damn, that dog was awesome. Got that should have blowfish. I was like, God damn it, that sucks, man. So that was a little sad. But there's a nerd that's at that party, and he talks about the love yeah, roller coaster, right? That motherfucker. There were, who was, is that guy? I don't. There was a line he said though. That, Whose cousin is he that he got featured that prominently in that movie? Yeah, it's who you know and who you blow. He does have a line though. I like it. I thought it was a little funny. It's silly, but it was funny. It is actually when Tara Reid's character. She's getting chased in the studio at the radio station. The first time through, I wasn't paying too close attention, but I was like, how the fuck are they catching her screaming throughout? That's what I wrote. I'm like, how is the mic picking her up everywhere like the mic is in the same room as her? Exactly. But then on second watch, it's like, oh. By the end, she does come back around to that room. She has a headset on. Oh. I didn't catch that the first time around, but she's got a little headset on with a, a microphone to the side. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. And I was like, oh, okay. Because yeah, like, that was my, what I that wrote That was a critique was at like, first. What? Bullshit. That was a big critique. I was like, there's no way they've got that whole place rigged up for sound. There's no way. Until, like I said, I saw with her. With all of it recording. No way. There's no fucking way. And broadcasting it at the same time, no way. But yeah, that was a critique until I saw the headpiece. I was like, oh. All right, that was a saving grace for you guys. Okay, so here's my note oh. on Tara Reed in that scene. The line. I'll give you the line, but oh, I want yeah, to hear you Oh, yeah, yeah, where's the line? Yeah, no. All right, so as she's being chased, right, Natalie is with the nerd now, and yep. she's hearing it. And the nerd guy's like, he had mentioned that, that it was like a, a stage production or something that she was working on. He's like, oh, she's good. I've got chills. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of funny. Um. My note is that the more hysterical Tareed gets, the better she gets. Yeah. When she she's is convincing. freaking out, she's really good. Towards the end 100. of that scene, as she's sort of just like calming down and whimpering, it kind of breaks a little bit and she's yeah. kind of iffy. There's but a, when yeah, she's like she going full on, she's fucking believable. Like, I was like, holy shit, Tareed's doing Scream Queen right now. When she gets cornered, she's really good she's at that. Really good. She's otherwise a, not that great. Well, I, think I mean, she's otherwise dubbing. serviceable in this movie. Right, right. I, I do think there's some like later dubbing that they did. You know, just added stuff, some ADR. But through and through, though, like everybody gives a really good performance in this film. All right. So our boy Michael Rosenbaum does get killed a little bit later on. It is kind of a play on the hoax that Joshua Jackson's character did with the Pop Rocks. So Michael Rosenbaum gets Pop Rocks and Bleach, fucks him up. What urban legend was Tara Reid supposed to be? Is that just the call coming from inside? The... Yeah, I don't know if they ever credited anything. Or is that to just her a death. slasher kill? That's just a slasher kill. That's all that was, really. All right, all right. This might be a stretch. Okay. Possibly a stretch, but we could also look at it as we have covered a film that had a DJ 
that had some serial killers coming to the station when we covered Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. See, I... But I don't know how much that is. Like, that's a stretch. I mean, I could see that as an homage, but that still doesn't fit in the urban legend. No, not not for urban legends, but just saying homage-wise. The only thing I could think of is that it's a stretch of there being a real scream in Love Roller Coaster. Yeah, that's a good point. This is just stretching that to the extreme. I can see that because it was referenced. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're listening to the track <laughs> through the radio speakers. Mm-hmm. So it makes perfect sense. So Rosenbaum, this is funny that you brought him up. After he gets killed, he comes back about five minutes later when the corpses are set up to be scaring the shit out of uh, Natalie, Alicia Witt. Yeah, Alicia. And the thing I noticed, and it made me fucking laugh really hard, is that they only show Michael Rosenbaum's corpse on the ground for about a second, and as they're cutting away, he's definitely taking a breath. No shit. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. He's definitely starting to take a breath when the fucking camera cuts. That's funny. <laughs> Isn't he, like, in feathers or some shit? Oh. It comes out of the closet, like, falls yeah. over. Josh Jackson's, though, was pretty good. Like, him hanging in the closet or whatever. It looked really good. The Dean's was pretty good, too. Like, the gore and effects in it was pretty well done. I give him credit for that. I felt like all of those corpses were staged by someone in a way where they thought the director was going to make a more pulled-out shot of what was going on to sort of appreciate the handiwork. It was hard to tell because all you really saw was them up close. But it kind of looked like you had hints of like almost like patterns I see what you mean, of yeah. some sort. Like they were displayed, you know what I mean? But the director never made a shot where, you know, you got to see that. Framed so. it up, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Well, it makes sense. So this is where they, I think it starts to unravel like you're still unsure of exactly who the killer is because... Paul and Natalie and Brenda all get in a car and they go back to the gas station. And the girls start to smell something funky and they check the back seat and we find Mr. Wexler, Mr. England, and they freak out and panic and they start to run away from Paul. Both the girls get separated, right? Brenda, she gets kind of left behind. Nat makes it all the way back. That's where she goes back to Stanley Hall. And then, yeah, that's when it starts going into the corpses. But the thing I was getting at is she also runs into, like, the janitor. So it makes you believe that it's multiple people at this point. Like, maybe it's him because of the jacket. Maybe it's Paul because there's the body and he has the motive. He's writing a story about all this shit, you know. And it's not until, of course, we find out that Brenda's set up this ruse the whole time. Well-crafted. One thing I did want to mention, because they do play it out, but... It's still left unexplained who caused it. The only thing I can think of is just like there was somebody already else in there. But when they do the Bloody Mary, there is... There's screams coming from in there. Right. And that's what I'm getting at. So, so was there already somebody in there prior to them doing that? You know what I mean? Like, right. did Brenda already have somebody in Stanley Hall for whatever reason? Is Brenda that good at throwing her voice? Did she have it timed on a recorder? <laughs> These are the questions I have, because it doesn't really get explained. We can, you know, theorize about who or what it was, because they Mm -hmm. both heard it. It wasn't like, you know. And it couldn't have been Joshua Jackson. No, no, not at that point. There's no way. Yeah, I don't know. I thought about that, too. And I was like, oh, that's weird. That's the only thing I couldn't really make out. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. But I do like the twist. I do like how everything gets played out at the end. You know, you have a happy ending for a couple of people. Reese, she has some good lines. Well, yes and no. 
happy endings because some people they get killed. So in that regard, if you didn't get killed, it's probably a happy ending for you. But did they? Not necessarily, considering the outcome right. of the killer. Yeah, because we know the killer is alive. Yes. And the killer is like, you got the story wrong. Here's how it actually happened. How do you like that? They're being meta, too, is what they're doing. Because the beginning of the film, Paul talks about the fact that a lot of these urban legends are you know, based out of these northeastern universities and stories and all that shit. And somebody in the group kind of does the same thing. But here's the other thing. In the sequel, it's mentioned that the killer had eight victims. If they lived, it only totals up to six. Hmm, interesting. Actually, I think it totals up to seven, but I think that only is if you count, oh God, uh, like Sasha's producer or something like that. Okay. Who did get killed, but not necessarily. Oh, that's a good a, point. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't take him into consideration. Something like that. But it falls short if you don't count them. Huh. Do they count the janitor as a kill? Did he die? I don't know if they would if they count that as a kill or not too. I so who do we have that so well, the dean for sure dean died Wexler for sure Robert England right Tosh Michael Rosenbaum Josh Jackson right that's how, five how okay that's five then you got Tara Reed's character her producer possibly the janitor anybody else oh what, Michelle wait so let me see here so Tara so at least nine Michael Rosenbaum Joshua Jackson Dean. Professor Wexler, Tosh, Michelle. I say, I guess, well... If you count the producer, janitor, perhaps, the cat. So maybe they did get away. But we also don't know because she did say that they told the story wrong. And she's obviously alive and kicking. And we know that Natalie was her target, so... Exactly, good point. I do like the premise of this film, right? It's urban legend. It's something fun. It's rooted in folklore, myth, and... Everybody's heard variations of these stories, and it's fun to play with the idea and concept. It had a lot of faces that were very familiar, you know, handsome guys, cute chicks. And it played out really well. It was, like I said, some of it was formulaic, but I was like, you know, time period, it still holds out fairly well. It's not bad, you know, it's still entertaining. Did it blow me away? No, but I liked it. It, I thought it played out really well, and the concepts were fun. I really enjoyed rewatching it the first time. It was just the second time I was like, I have seen this movie so many yeah. fucking times. I don't need to do this. And at this, this point, right you now. know it's coming. The only thing I kind of got, like, so just a little bit more insight, like I said, with Tara Reed and playing that whole critique I had, I was like, oh, okay, that explains that. No big deal. But outside of that, I didn't really have any critiques. Like, some of it towards the end was like a little predictable once the reveal does happen. You kind of had an idea of what was coming. But I do like the twist ending as well. Like, that was cool. You can, you know, further the franchise, which they did. So there was one bit of trivia I saw that I do, in retrospect, wish that they would have highlighted just a titch more in the movie. The school's motto on the shield is Latin for best friend did it. I did read that trivia. That's pretty cool. Now, here's the thing. Because I got really bored on that second time through, I decided to do a special, a really specialized kind of halftime through after that where i was fast forwarding through parts of the movie where i knew that they weren't like not even on campus and shit but i looked for any instance where you might have been able to notice that in the movie the best chance you have of even noticing that in the movie is if you can read the embroidered latin on reese's shoulder patch wow because otherwise, the only other two parts for sure that I saw that that pops up in the movie 
is that you can for sure oh three parts you can for sure see the school seal painted on the side wall next to the swimming pool okay however it only shows up in two shots for a total of about a second and a half <laughs> one of the times i don't think you could read anything because of the angle anyway i didn't actually pause it to be sure because it popped by so quickly and the other time even if it is readable you can't see it all <laughs> no, that's understandable otherwise it, there's also a mug in the coffee station that has it yeah, if you're paying attention to that. But I don't think it ever you ever see it big <laughs> enough funny. to actually read it. Yeah. And towards the very end of the movie, when, oh God, when Natalie gets on the campus security phone and sets off the alarm before she goes in to try to rescue Brenda, mm -hmm. the seal is on the phone. Okay. However, I don't think the camera ever comes into focus enough to actually read it. That's interesting, but I, I did see that too. It's like if you're actually paying attention to that for whatever reasons, catch that. See, that's the thing. But I think it's really neat that they included that as such a really small detail, and I eight. really want to like give them props for it. And I'm really glad that they didn't go the complete other way and like have a scene like transition by just like starting straight in on the seal and then like sliding off of it or whatever, which yeah, I think you would see in a lot of movies. But I wish that they would have framed it like down in the bottom corner of a frame in some sequence, just so that if you were really paying attention, yeah, it is and they Latin, right? <laughs> but if they don't ever focus on it or like, then it doesn't even, even matter that they wrote it or not, right? Yeah, you're right. Then it's just like, oh, there it is, kind of moment, as opposed to like they're highlighting it, mm -hmm. you know. But yeah, overall, fun film. I know this one we've kind of talked about for a while doing. I know that Shout Factory has a release of this. It looks pretty cool. I considered it in the past. You know, the film itself, it's like, I don't know, unless I come across like a really good deal on it, perhaps, because I, I am really big into special features, and I know like it has some really cool interviews with everybody associated with it. I think there's like a an eight-part, two-hour per-part series, like with everybody involved so if you're really into special features it's got some cool shit i don't really have anything else i mean this is a formative horror movie for me as weird as that kind of fucking sounds looking at a horror movie with rebecca gayhart joshua jackson and fucking jared leto <laughs> yeah the girl who uh was in the noxima commercials yeah <laughs> Which, that was a good little callback. To it was. It. Or not callback, but... Um, but yeah, just like a little nod or just yeah, like acknowledgement. Yeah. Actor illusion. But, I mean, I don't probably ever actually need to see this movie again. No, like I said, unless you're really into like that time period, that style like of teenage... I wouldn't say no to watching it again. No, but it's not but... something I'm seeking out either. No, no. Uh, however, if you've never seen it... It's worth the watch. If it's been a while for you, if it's been fucking Shit. 19 years like it was for me yeah then there's no harm in like wow, like dude. go back and give it a watch it's, it's eminently watchable this, it's this super film, watchable it's hard to believe this film is 21 years old because it's like I, I know people who aren't even that old and ah uh, they don't know <laughs> they don't know they really don't but it's okay i'll have to introduce them yeah eminently watchable film just yeah. not something I'm going to re-seek out again anytime. No, but it's... Soon it's, or possibly ever. It was fun, but interesting, but yeah. It's no better than any other films like you've seen in this genre. Yeah, but if you haven't seen it 30 times, well, give it a watch. Check it out. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. But yeah, it was fun. I'm glad we did it, man. I had a good time.
So I think we had an idea of what we were going to do next week, but I'm going to tell you right now that I was looking at the calendar, and I think we're going to have to put that off one more week. I'm and okay so we're going to talk about it off air here in a second. But hopefully, no matter what we do, you all are going to want to listen to us next week. Oh, yeah, we'll do this part, and then we'll talk about Pet Cemetery. Right, right, right. Now, I do know we have a holiday coming up, too. That's what I'm going to talk about. Nice, so yeah. I think we're going to have to figure out what we're going to do for okay, that. Okay, nice. I'm looking forward to that. So, hopefully, you, you all want to listen to us next week. Hopefully, you want to stick around after I get done talking about this part. Yeah, we got some cool Pet stuff Cemetery. to talk about. But in order to listen to us next week, please hit subscribe, however you're currently listening to us. If you don't like how you're currently listening to us, go to www.friedsquirms.com. There's other ways to listen to us up at the top. The latest episode is always streaming down at the bottom. You can find our archives in between, as well as the portal to all of our other social media, the Facebook, the Insta, the Twitter. You can always hit us up through the website or at squirmcast at gmail.com. I don't think I missed anything there except for the fact that we would love to hear from you and that we would super, super appreciate it if you would like rate and review us on iTunes to get us like in the algorithm and all that good shit. Exactly. So. Yeah, we like be in the algorithm. We also like to hear from people who might be in the industry. If you just want somebody to either watch a film that you might have, you know, need some uh, second opinions. If you just want to give us some recommendations or to say hello, we enjoy that as well. So don't be afraid to reach out and let us know what you think. Shit. Now, I'm not going to say quite out yet, but stick around for a second. And we're going to talk a little bit about Pet Cemetery. And I think we're going to try to stay mostly spoiler free. But the fact is, like, all the biggest spoilers have already been revealed, except for maybe the last five minutes of this movie. So Exactly. So if you're curious, stick around and we'll have a lot more to say about Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery, Danny. Yeah, man, it was a lot of fun. I agree. I'm really glad I went and had the movie theater experience on this one, that we went with our fun little group, as it was me, you, Jordan, Alex, and Patrick. You can see all of us on Just a Friendly Reminder. Go check out Just a Friendly Reminder. Yeah, please do. Anyway, but that was fun, especially getting to hear Alex's fucking exclamations. Oh, man. That was a lot of fun. That brought a lot of amusement <laughs> to the film. I guess overall, well, what did you think? I liked it. I liked the fact that it was paying enough homage to the original. You know, it wasn't trying to be the original. It was just using the elements that were already established, you know, in the novel. So I felt like on its own, on its own two feet, it's a pretty solid film. It didn't, like, necessarily blow me away, but there was a lot of things I liked that they did that was different. You know, it made the story interesting. So you asked yesterday when we got done if I wanted to talk about it right away or not, and... I didn't quite right away because I didn't want to just spend the entire time talking about the differences between the version we've already fucking did a commentary for and this one. And it kind of started making me think about this movie and some of the reactions I've seen already online in general. And I'm sort of seeing, I don't know, sort of mixed things within the community. But overall, honestly, the people that I didn't think were going to like it seem not to like it. And the people that I thought were going to like it seem to like, like it. it. Yeah. So... Whatever that means, I don't know. But the thing from the people that don't like it, the echo seems to be like, this is why you don't remake movies. And I think what people aren't thinking about is that they didn't remake the 1989 movie. Exactly. They readapted the Stephen King story. This is just the second adaptation of the same story. And that I, first one isn't even it. the original story. That first one takes away a lot of elements from the original story. That this one at least acknowledges, mentions, perhaps, or yeah. acknowledges. 
So Yeah, and that's why I feel like regardless if you're a huge fan of the original or if you've never seen either one of them and this is your introduction, like this is a solid film to give you an idea of the story, you know, and you can play around with some of the concepts like they did. Now, to be honest, it didn't, like, super blow me out of the water. Likewise. Like, I wasn't blown away, but I wasn't left disappointed. Yeah, I wasn't left disappointed. Super glad I went and saw it. Super glad they made it. I mean, especially because of their inclusion of some of the more blatant supernatural aspects in this movie. And the way they played around with things sort of, like, lurking in the background and shit. I'm probably a little bit more likely to rewatch this one than the 89 at least anytime soon. And Good it's point. not because I necessarily like one more than the other, because I think there are things about the 89 that I do like more than this one. But this one definitely has a higher overall rewatchability upon first glance. For I think me. at this point, for sure. The 89 is just really straightforward. Everything's out in the light. Obviously, I mean, through our commentary, we talk about the fact that some of the actions and shit don't seem to make sense unless you're viewing it in the giant meta point of the overall influence of that territory and stuff. But it's overall just like, it's all right there. And not only is it right there, but most of the time it's like right there and it's like sunny and bright out. This one, like there's a lot more dark. There's a lot more obscure. I don't know. I think that's a good way. There's to more for me, to, it seems like, to dig into with this one. Right. At least currently. Yeah. Yesterday before we went to the film, I got to talk to my uncle and i was mentioning to him that you know we had reviewed starry eyes and that was the directors who did pet cemetery that was one of uh, their films that they did which just a few years back so it gave us an idea kind of stylistically maybe even storytelling wise what they're capable of doing and i told him i'd be happy if they did like half of the things that they did in starry eyes in pet cemetery because i knew that this was going to be a bigger budgeted film and it's going to have a little bit more production value and probably a little bit more hands in the cookie jar you know yeah so i was like i understand that i think if this one does insanely well that's when they get let off the leash a little bit more. right again. and you made you know that particular comment about hereditary with Ari Aster, and it makes perfect sense i probably feel the same with with uh jennifer kent and probably julia de canoe like people who have a really good eye and they use small budgets you know conceptually they can do a really good job so here's something with a little bit more money a little bit more mainstream audience even if it's just half as good i would i would be happy and i feel like it was better than that like it was better than what i half anticipated i agree yeah i, th I think that's perfect and i remember you saying that before like if they do that even you know like you said half as well as starry eyes then this is probably going to be a success in some way and i agree that they went beyond half of starry eyes for sure the other thing I guess I, I noticed that I do want to say is I think we were right in that those trailers really didn't sell the way this movie, the actual tone to this movie very well. Right. This film does have a lot of atmosphere. It does seem a lot more slowed down than those trailers made it seem to. I agree. Yeah. It's not as quick paced as the trailers make it out to be. It's not really as reliant as like the modern day weird kind of cheap horror tricks jump scares and stuff mm -hmm. yeah that it's relying on which you know I mean, that there has are its some place. jump scares it has and its shit place. In it, but yeah um it's mostly the jump scare that everyone's anticipating anyway which is uh, the fucking highway so man i think that scene the way it played out it was really well done because they used music to kind of not necessarily dampen that whole scenario 
but to just let you kind of maybe empathize a little bit more. Like I, I didn't feel like these characters were as empathetic as the characters in the original film. They didn't give you enough time to kind of cling on to them. Like you still felt, you know, an air of sympathy because you know what's going to happen. But I didn't feel as attached to these characters. I'll agree with that, except for maybe Ellie. Yeah, you can definitely sympathize with her a lot more. Uh, maybe I really, the doc too. I really liked uh, Lithgow as Judd. Yeah, he did a good job, dude. I even feel like the actress that played Rachel did a really good job. She was a really good actress. Acting all around, I think they did a good job. God, I don't know. I guess, fucking go see it. That's my ultimate point, is that like I did like it enough that I would definitely recommend it. Yeah. Um, it's a super well-done adaptation. I'm going to go see it tomorrow night again anyway. Yeah, like, my, my overall impression, without giving spoilers away, was there were certain things that I was thinking, had they tried to be the original... I would have been a lot more critical, but because they did make acknowledgement back to the original with certain things they did, they did things on their own that was a little different that might not have felt maybe as authentic, you know, but I like that about this film. Like I said, it's not trying to be the original. It's just, they're using the foundation from the story and they're making it their own. And I appreciate that about this film. I guess the one thing, uh, I brought this up yesterday after the film talking to Patrick. And one thing that surprised me, though, is that with how kind of gory and extreme Starry Eyes ends, and with the success of Hereditary last year, and how you can get away with fucking, like, beheading a kid with a... (laughs) Yeah. You know, with a car and a fucking telephone pole, and then getting away with showing the fucking skull. I'm kind of surprised that child death in this wasn't more explicit, Good point, yeah. I was kind of expecting them to play that up in a little bit more, not just terrifying with how it all plays out later, but initially horrifying as well. Horrific, yeah. Yeah. Like, the nature of that accident wasn't as played out as it could have been. No. Yeah. And in fact, was extremely tame for what happened. Considering, yeah, there was annihilation, I would think. Yeah. um, Or obliteration, perhaps. Probably should have ended up being looking a little bit more like Pascal. Oh, dude. That was good. That, that was, was good. That was overall kind of good. good. I didn't... You could kind of see like the little bit of added... I was like, ooh, that's good. Because I was like, man, we're eating. Yeah. <laughs> but that was good. Some of the lines were good, too. I was like, that was clever. They just, you know, reversed some of the lines. I wish there would have been more pascal like we had in the 89 i said that to patrick too and i kept waiting to see if he was gonna pop back in in any big way later on in the movie but the way it plays out i didn't mind that there wasn't i think i just would have liked it a little bit more if there was it didn't take away it just didn't add to it yeah no i just felt like for as little as they used his character would it have mattered had they had him in the first place honestly probably not as much no 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 yeah but that's okay. Like so then that's what makes it different too, is like I said, it's a part of that thing that it's not trying to be it, it's just, you know, acknowledging the fact that this is a character that is in that story and this is how we're gonna incorporate that character. So that's okay, but overall it was a good experience. The theater experience was a lot of fun. It was nice to see a lot of people in the theater too, and we had a nice little entourage with us. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Man, like I said, I'm excited to see it again tomorrow night and see how it holds up against a second viewing. Yeah, there's a couple of things I noted. There was a few things I I felt like, you know, foreshadow-wise, it it did a really good job. And I kind of noted a few of those things. 
There was a couple things I thought I noted, and I think I'm just going to be double-checking and nice. making sure the second time through. So. Yeah, that'll be fun. That'll make it more of a conversation piece, too. But yeah, go watch Pet Cemetery. Yeah, I highly guess recommend that's the, it. That's the long and short of it. Nice. And yeah, I guess next week I'll even report in how it holds up on second viewing. Fun. Nice. But for this week, I'm Tyler. I've been Danny. Fried Squirms. Oh! oh.